Welcome to the Self Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. In this episode, we're charged to stop attempting time management. And my guest takes the very concept to task as something never intended to benefit us at all. Instead, he masterfully guides us in how to tip time to our advantage. And it's not a hack or a secret. It's really a reawakening as to how we're viewing and budgeting our time. And I'd ask you to consider, me too, if your so-called time management is working for you. Do you feel efficient? Do you have margin? Are you getting things done that are not just urgent, but important and actually valuable to you? My guest is Richie Norton. Uh, This is his second appearance on my show. Once in a while, I find someone like him who every influencer seems to be influenced by. A recent look at Richie's social media uh, finds him in pictures with Pat Flynn and Tom and Lisa Bilyeu. Ben Hardy, Chris Ducker, Shalene Johnson, and he doesn't just know these people. He does business with them and they look to him for guidance. He's also just an incredibly inspirational guy who elevates the energy of any place he goes to. Richie is an executive coach to CEOs. He's featured in Forbes and Bloomberg Business Week, Inc., Entrepreneur, Huffington Post. He's also CEO and co-founder of Product and Inc. 5000 Company, a global entrepreneurship solution helping businesses go from idea to market with full-service sourcing, product strategy, and end-to-end supply chain. He's the author of several books, and it was his book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, that got me to invite him on this show the first time. It was about three years ago. This time, it's his brand new book, Anti-Time Management. Reclaim your time and revolutionize your results with the power of time tipping. So what you're about to hear is a very thoughtful conversation that begins with Richie observing how we as a culture have ever increasingly full calendars, but emptier lives. And the rest of the conversation is Richie's guidance in how we can change that right away. And Richie, as you'll hear, he's had some significant things that have happened in his life that have brought him to the true value of his time. You could find Richie's book, Anti-Time Management, Reclaim Your Time and Revolutionize Your Results with the Power of Time Tipping, of course, everywhere. You can find his podcast at The Richie Norton Show. And his website is richienorton.com. Hey, if you find value from this show, this episode, leave a review. Let us know. And the best thing you can do, talk about what you hear with someone else. You can always find me, connect with me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. And next up, Richie Norton on anti-time management and tipping time in your favor. Richie, I, I got to admit, I haven't had a whole lot of people on the show more than once. This is the second time. I had, and yeah, we, we mentioned that just at the top. It was March 2019 that I had you on to talk about your last book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. Still love that book. Still love that concept. But man, I've been following you. I've been seeing you. You are just a, 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 this huge vortex of energy, and I love it. And thanks for being here for the second time. 
I'm so excited to be here for the second time. We'll, we'll, we'll just keep doing it. I have so much fun with you. You know, we, we could do this forever. <laughs> okay, deal. It's an ongoing, we'll All continue right. <laughs> the Richie series. Oh, man. Well, man, this one, you know, anti-time management, knowing you, having known you for a while, having followed you, honestly, I was curious, at, or I'm curious right now, what was it that tipped you? into this book with all that you've got going on, which is a lot of saying, you know what? I want to invest myself into others on this specific topic because I'm seeing and experiencing fill in the blank for me. You know, when I wrote my last book, the power of starting something stupid, I learned a lot after writing it. And that's what this book is for. I learned that people would say they wanted to start their quote unquote, stupid idea. They wanted to start something important. They wanted to live a life on value. They wanted to live in all these kinds of ways. So they would start this thing to get their time and their freedom. But entrepreneurs, people looking to move up in their job, uh, parents looking to create something unexperienced for their family, they would do this stupid idea. But I realized they didn't really want it. They wanted what they thought would come from the success of that thing. And this happened over and over. They, they'd make money, they do incredible things but it wasn't what they actually had in mind. And that fascinated me. So I thought, why are we always doing this two-step? Why are we doing 10 steps to try and get what we want when we could just do what we want? <laughs> why can't we work from the goal instead of endlessly toward it? I realized that goals from experience are, are tasks and goals outside experience are growth. So, so again, that last book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, did well. Brene Brown did a blog post about it. You interviewed me about it. It's in you know over 10 different languages. It's still doing its thing. But with anti-time management, the idea is when someone wants time and freedom, they'll create something only to lose their time and freedom to it. It's like baking a cake without sugar and expecting it to be sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean – you can you can put like all kinds if you're a keto person you can put all kinds of things in, into the cake right to make it taste sweet that's like trying to live a life with values and saying that one day you'll live them mm -hmm. time just doesn't work that way so i wrote this book kind of towards the future like here's ways we can work differently here's how we can create a moat around our time here's how we can live really the way we want to but what happened is with the pandemic and all these other things the world advanced te technologically in a way that almost caught up with some of this thinking and some of this, you know, these ideas that I'm, that I'm sharing and we'll share now, but it's never been more relevant and more timely. And, and people are finding it to be, I don't know, a way to live a happy, joyful life. That's super productive at the same time. Well, you're here cause it's timely for me. And because it's my show, I get to have on who I want and talk about what I want, man. This is what <laughs> I want to talk about. And I was just, I told you, so I was just talking with Mark Tim and some people know him from Ziegler family, just incredibly successful guy. And, uh, he, he and Kevin Harrington, the shark tank guy wrote their, uh, book mentor to millions. Uh, and he's actually pacing outside my office on a call right now. <laughs> I can hear him. And we, we were talking about you and, and somehow we, we, we brought up, and this is just moments ago, uh, Ben Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy who I know, you know, matter of fact, I just saw you, I saw a, a post like in the past two weeks, you were with him and his family. I, I was with him and his family in Orlando. And I said, Hey, do you guys ever see alligators around here? And they're like, 
not really unless we go to this one place there's like 50 of them um you know and i'm like okay let's let's go well you, they took me there to well, just with this kids and we we're just having fun well you know looking at alligators <laughs> that's just that is oh, well it's so him I, you know when i had him on the show it's been maybe three weeks three weeks ago or so and we were talking just kind of on the fruition of life and where he's at right now and really got into talking about both of us. He and I kind of, and I don't like the term slowing down though, but it wasn't a slowing down in regards to, I want to produce less. I want to do less. I want to achieve less. I don't, I want to do more, but I find myself finding myself right now, just kind of stepping back and looking at time and, and kind of questioning. And that's what your book did for me of, of for lack of better words, like, what the hell am I doing and why, yeah. why am I doing that? And what you just said was kind of the crux of what I came to in looking at your book is the, and you talk about it, the final result. What yes. am I doing? What is the final result I want? Will that change what I am doing or will it just change the spirit from which I'm doing it? Where do you focus? Oh, I like that. That I like what you phrased that. Well, too. thanks because just... it came from your book, but I'll take credit <laughs> for it. But, but but seriously, when you look at that question, where do you find yourself siding? Is it trying to cut out some of the steps and change what we're doing, or change the spirit, or some vort or a uh, spectrum of both? I I guess I guess it's kind of both. But I, I like to say like it's assigning meaning to what you're doing. Yeah. The, ch- the challenge is that people will assign meaning to something in the wrong way. So they'll say they'll say this is this is too real. This gets too real like to the heart. They'll say I'm go- I really want to have more time with my family. So I'm going to sacrifice my family right now mm-hmm. so that one day I can have time with them. That would be assigning meaning in the wrong way because when you sacrifice what you love for success, you get neither. Okay. Love shows up by how you spend your time. How you spend your time is how you show your love. Now, you know this, but the idea is stop managing your time. Start prioritizing attention. And whatever you focus your attention on, is what you're creating. And people go, well, I'm distracted. You can crowd out your, your distractions when you're, when you put priorities first. But again, people will say, and I'll give you some examples, but people will say that their priority is one thing, but we've learned since kindergarten to put our priorities ironically last. Yeah. Here's, here's a jelly bean for you. Six year old. You can have it at the end of the day. If you're good, it was never about the jelly bean. It was about control. Mm. So when people look about look at time management, they go, I can't wait. I'm going to manage my time better. I'm going to get my time back and be free. No, 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 my friend. If you go back into the history like I did, and I didn't really know this. I wasn't planning on calling it anti-time management. I was just looking at what's happening. I was looking at my clients, what's working. I was looking at my own life. I was looking at the tragedies that have happened, you know, in my own experience. And I started realizing, like, this isn't, this is weird. Like, people have full calendars and empty lives. Multimillionaires, they say that, that, that money is easy, time is hard. I'm like, wait, what's, ha-? they say, they talk about work life balance and they don't have it. I'm like, what's going on right now? And I went back. And I learned that time management wasn't just some thing invented by gurus, not at all. Time management was 
was decidedly created, designed specifically as a tool to measure every drop of blood, sweat, and tears from workers during the Industrial Revolution. In other words, it's not about controlling time because no one can control time. It's about who is in control of your time. And when you give up your time to, this isn't a right or a wrong. It just kind of is what it is. When you give up your time to your choices and you think they're going to give you a certain result or a certain consequence and they don't, you've given it up. That could be to a boss. That could be to your own doing or undoing, et cetera, et cetera. So when I realized that time management was a tool to control other people, I realized time management control is to control others, anti-time management how you can get back the control. Instead of having time taken, you can create it. Every project I do, I have in my head, how can I create time with this project? I call it time flow, the same way you would create cash flow. Right. You know, and so you start thinking this way and you'll start, it actually creates an entirely different decision tree in the way you make decisions because instead of saying, I'm going to go down this line that's, that's linear, you're going to say, I'm going to create a, a castle. And I'm going to protect it with a moat economically, strategically in the way I work. And when you change how you're paid, you can change your life. You on this aspect of this myth of time management then, or this errancy that we have of how we view it. You got me thinking back to, I don't know who to attribute it to, but the concept that has gnawed at me for a long time of us all saying, oh my gosh, if I just had an extra hour in my day, right? If I could get a 25 hour day or, mm. or clone myself, that was, that was the one that I always went to. If I could just clone myself, because there's so much I want to do, which is kind of cool. I, I like that. I have things I want to do, but to that hour aspect, or even to cloning myself, what would I do? I, unfortunately I'm, I'm realizing I would just do more of the same junk I'm already doing. And I would waste that hour doing the same thing that I do to waste other hours. And, you know, I want to have grace for myself and have grace for others and not be just, um, not minimize anybody's status of life, but I'm always aware that there's somebody who's got less going for them, more going against them, who's producing more than I am and is having more fun at it. And, and more mm. fulfillment and more peace. And so again, I don't want to take that. And my tendency is just to, you know, flagellate myself and be down on myself, but go, you know, I, I probably can work smarter. I probably can be a little more efficient, but like you said, be less distracted or guard myself from that distraction. But I have to, and that's what I find myself doing as I'm reading your book. I got to step back and audit, what is the final result that I want to do? And and that to me feels like th- there's the big kahuna that we generally just, uh, it takes effort, man. I got stuff to do. I got to go. Right? <laughs> it, it's true. No, it, it's true. Anyone can do kind of a little, they can just think back, do a little test. Now, I like to think of things that sometimes we think are negative, but they might have some, some merit to them. And I think of procrastination. And uh, we, we're really you know, down on procrastination because it's, it's all these things. But if you think about it, like no one's more productive than a procrastinator with an impending deadline. (laughs) Dude, that's all I got going for me right there. You just summed up my entire motivational uh, package right there. Yeah. 
Right. So, like, if if you start measuring from the point in which you actually begin the work, you know what I mean, to the point it's done, well, then you, your productivity is through the roof. Totally. It was a psychological thing that you were avoiding, you know, doing low-priority tasks to avoid the high-priority tasks. That's a thing. So in, in some ways, having less time to do work, like you were saying, having less, you can do more because you crowd out those distractions. You, you bring in that power of hyper-focus, yeah. you know. But then again, you know, you could get so hyper-focused on even the wrong things, you know. Uh, Covey would say, begin with the end in mind. He never said begin with means in mind, meaning hmm. a lot of the things we do have become the means have become ends unto themselves. Okay. So when you're talking about the final result or final cause, like I know we'll talk more about goals and habits, but if you really think what's a goal, what's a habit, what's a strength, they're means to something else. But we've become so obsessed. <laughs> Sometimes we are forever habiting and never inhabiting. I mean, have you ever like practiced something for so long but never did the thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a thing, <laughs> you know. And and I'll talk about final cause, but I'll let me explain it this way. And I'll I'll go through it a little a little quicker than I than I normally because we we've talked about it before on on another show. But you know, my brother in law passed away in his sleep at twenty one. Yeah, Gavin, out of no right? out of nowhere, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Gavin. And when he passed, it was it was it shook us to the core because, you know, he was going to live for a long time, a lot longer than us. He was he was younger than us, you know. And, you know, in America, we think that one day we're going to be 65 and we're going to retire. We're finally going to live. Now, that mentality is starting to uh, shift in the 21st century. But that's been the mentality now for almost 200 years. For 200 years, we've been taught. And this was because of, of railroads and governments wanting you to stay in one job. They incentivized us with tax breaks when you get taxed at a, a higher rate when you have more money to, to fund this whole plan. But the idea was you stay at this one job and then you get to be able to live. Now, we don't necessarily live that long, but sometimes we live longer. And sometimes we don't actually want the goals we had when we were 20, when we we're 60. And sometimes they're irrelevant. And sometimes our spouse isn't healthy or we're not healthy. Sometimes we don't have the money we thought we would have. So it doesn't actually make sense to do that. And it didn't make sense for him. You know, a few years later, my we had our fourth son and he caught uh, pertussis. And um, I remember when they pulled out those wires and tubes out of him in the in the hospital. And it was just, it was the worst, it's the worst nightmare you can imagine, you know, as a parent. And I remember just being on my knees, my wife's in a rocking chair. She's holding him, my hands on, on his, on his heart. And we're just singing lullabies and waiting for that last beat. And someone asked me like, what'd you learn from your, your brother-in-law and your son passing away? And I, I didn't know what to say, but I came up with, um, Gavin's law, which is live to start, start to live. Cause when you live those ideas that are pressing on your mind, you really will start living. So we've just gone through like a whole, you know, fast forward and we've gone through this whole pandemic. And people are like, some people are like, did my life peak pre-pandemic? Is it is it over? And some people are like, oh no, now it's the next thing. I'm going to figure out my life. But a lot of people are 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 wondering what what's happening next because the future is so unknown. Especially, I was just talking to someone from Eastern Europe, and he's like, no one can plan. Hmm. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. 
even in the countries around, they don't, they don't know who's going to be in control and they can't plan. And you think, wow, when all these things are so unpredictable and life is so crazy and there's all kinds of tragedies, what happens? And I learned that grief is a tunnel, not a cave. And I, I learned my, my, we had foster kids come and go. My wife had a, had a stroke and lost her memory. She got it back. I had a son get hit by a car. He should be dead. But now he's he's okay. He's riding big waves. And he kind of looks at it like he's Superman. Like he didn't get hit by a car. He beat the car. You know, so there's all these things that are that are happening in life. But when I came to this idea, I thought, like, does God hate me? Why are all these bad things happening? And I thought, love God unconditionally. Keep the faith. Go to work on the things that you can control. And there's not a lot, but there is something you can do. Because when, when terrible things happen, you can assign positive meaning to them, even if you don't want to, <laughs> even when it's hard. And when you do, something happens. You start realizing what actually matters. Yeah. So instead of saying, I have a goal, you say, what's the job of the goal? Instead of saying, I'm going to get a job, you say, what's the job of the job? You know, instead of saying, what are my strengths? You go, what is the purpose of these strengths? Because there would be no career transitions if people liked the strengths that they had. They want to do something else. They're over it, you know? So all these things are happening. But I learned that when you when you move beyond conceptually goals, habits, and strengths into the place you really want to be, there's a million different ways that you can make it happen. So Aristotle called it a final cause, this result, where the idea is there's four causes. And the idea is that academics like to say it this way. Let's say you wanted to create a table. And side note, Aristotle called it like an acorn. An acorn becomes an oak tree. Yeah. Okay? So the academics will say you need like, you need the materials. That's a cause. You need like the design. Oh, that's another cause. You need like an agent or someone to put it together, that's a cause. Then you have a final cause. So if you had a someone, the wood, the design, a person to make this table, you have a table. But then I would say, what's the purpose of the table? Because the, if the purpose of the table is to have it as a legacy piece for your family, awesome. But if it's to have some sort of cool experience with family or friends or business partners that are in town, you can do Uber Eats, man. Now, this, this is a metaphor for life. You can go to the food truck down the street. You can sit on the floor. You can go You can go to the beach or the mountains. You can do whatever you want. The reason this is important is because people are laboring all the day long for this table when likely, likely, some, honestly, more than likely, it was totally unnecessary mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. the experience. So they worked their whole lives for something, never to get it or to get it so late that they put their priorities and their purpose last when it could have been first. And when you put it in the context of people and them leaving or them changing or things happening or experience, you don't have to wait five or 10 years to spend more time with your children. You don't have to wait five or 10 years to go on that big trip. You go, what about money? Yeah, what about money? That's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) You can work from the dream, not endlessly toward it. And when you do, you make magic happen. And that you just gave a great depiction of somewhat of my 
pondering a minute ago of as we look at the final result of which we are also here we are today we're all doing these activities and you're saying what they, they have a final result. You're doing it for some reason. What is that final result? Do yes. we, you have me looking and going, what are some things that I can get rid of like that? The point is that we eat and, and for me and, and you, you know, that our family comes together or friends or whatever, and that we break bread together. We can do that on the floor, on a blanket, at a restaurant. We can do, do I need to go buy or do I need to build, you know, a table to do that? Maybe not. So, so there's a question on setting something aside or on the other side, is there a reason? Cause I, I did, I love the analogy, uh, Richie, cause I live up here in the Rocky mountains and literally cut down. And when we built our house, cut down standing dead Aspen trees. And I had this event that I was doing for a bunch of people, about 50 people. And I was going to have 12 of the leader, uh, 12, 10, 10, maybe 10 of the leaders to my home that we had just built. So I have this pretty good sized house out in the national forest. We did not have a table. No, we could have sat on the floor, but man, I, I had, I had a vision, Richie. I had a vision and I had this table design. It's kind of a, almost a diamond type. It tapers at the ends. I cool. built a table that will fit 14 people out of my tree. Uh, wow. I've got a, a wood mill and I had a vision of it. I was so excited. I had so much joy building it, putting it there, bringing it in. We ate at that table. It was unfinished. I didn't have time to do that, but I had, boom, there it is. And we gather and I have a picture of that uh, gathering. And the meaning was wow. so significant to me. So thank you for the analogy. But again, looking <laughs> at going, okay, but both of those are significant as opposed to just going through the motions and not asking why am I yes. doing this? Yes. Oh, I love. I love. I've never had someone tell me they've actually done it when I use that analogy. So that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But, Thanks. But no. But you you actually make a really good point. If you know why you're doing it, if you know the reason you're doing it, that's different. Most people are lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves. I had I had a guy reach out to me. He's like, I'm making 250 grand a year. I'm an accountant. I want to quit my job because I want more time with my family. Great. What are you going to do? It's my first call with him. What are you going to do? He says, I'm going to start a gym. I'm gonna, You're going to start a gym? Yeah. He says, he's going to start two because he needs two gyms for it to be profitable. It's going to take five years for it to work out. And I say, who's going to open the, the gym in the morning, right? Because now I'm getting real. Yeah. And who's going to close it at night? And he said he said that he would. He self-described as a, as a micromanager. And I'm like, okay. And how old are your children? So I'm getting super real because remember his, he told me originally the goal was to have more time with his kids. Mm. So he decided, think about this and, and everyone listening should apply this to their own life. He wanted more time. So this kid, so he decided he was going to start two gyms. So you go, causation correlation. It's you like, got, the, you really it's like the Mexican <laughs> fisherman story. <laughs> That's it? right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, and he says, I, I said, let's just do some math here. You know, he's an accountant guy, right? Let's do, let's do the math that matters, the different kind, you know, other than the ones, you know, on paper, which are also, which also matter. And he goes, okay. And I go, so how old are your kids? He goes 13 and 15. I go, so you're telling me that when your kids are 18 and 20, you're finally going to have time for them. And that's when it hit. Yeah. The problem is we actually design our plans intentionally to not get the result that we want, but we tell ourselves that it will. And I said, look, it's not about the gym. You can start a hundred of these things. 
You need someone else to run it. Or do it online. Or do one of those things where they put the card in and it's good for 24-7 and they can come in and out whenever they want. Because he wanted to spend time in Europe for two years, two, two months out of the year whenever he wanted it. And I, so this is the ironic thing about everything I'm saying. This is what's interesting when I talk with um, and I consult with venture capitalists and the, their founders too. When you bake in what you want from the start, you get more of it. When you bake in the sugar, the values from the start, you get more of it. It grows with you. So when someone starts a business, and it could be a job too, but let's just go with this for a second. When they start a business and they say, we're going to take out all these things so it can grow. And then one day we're going to get those things back and more of it. Hmm. It doesn't work. When you put them in from the start, you remove bottlenecks and it can grow bigger, better, faster, and more productively because you're not always in the way of it. You've created it around what you actually want to create. So you go, well, we're in this business to change the world. Are you? Sure. But you're also in it for money. Yeah. So then you start looking at it and you go, are you telling me that you're going to do all these things? And you really think that at the end of five or 10 years, all this other stuff's going to be true? They think that and you go back five or 10 years. For the last five or 10 years, they look exactly the way you thought they would look. Of course they didn't. When you bake in, like, say, I'm just using these ones like time and other kinds of values. It could be anything you put in there. You get more of them because you cement systems in the way you work. So people are forced to have an exit because they're burnt out. Mm-hmm. And you talked about stepping back or, or slowing down, or I, I might even say stepping up, how, you know, get that overview effect that the astronauts get when they look back at earth and they see this fragile blue ball, yeah. you know, and they're like, wow, this thing's amazing. Like, oh my gosh, like life is, you know, life is everything on earth. When you take, take a step back like that, it changes the way you approach life. So someone climbing a mountain, let's say their goal was actually to see the sunset. They could have, they could have climbed it. They could have, you know, used ropes. They could have like, they could have gotten a, on a donkey. They could have driven a car. They could have been on a helicopter. Once you realize that you're actually trying to have this other experience, there's a lot of ways to do it. So don't get mad at your neighbor when they're driving up the mountain in a car and you're hiking when you chose to hike. If you chose to hike, you did that on purpose, unless you didn't. And that's an essential, like thought process when you're trying to create something new. I really appreciate that part of your analogy was using a donkey. You like that? I do. I I do. But it typifies, it typifies you of, of literally questioning and thinking outside of the box and how many opportunities can we find, figure out in order to get to that final cause. I mean, Richie, as I was reading and thinking about this, you know, again, just to this question of looking at my priorities, thinking about my kids, which you just talked about with your analogy there. And I'm thinking, you know, what are my core, what are my core values as a parent? What do I want for my kids? And does it, and cause we've gone through the gamut, man, we have done private school. We've done homeschool. We've done public school. We've done charter school. We've done part-time school. We've done everything. Obviously, I have some value for my kids and their education and more so than that, just their life values and their life experience. And so we've, we've ebbed and flowed, but ultimately I have a value for as a parent, I want X for my kid. So let's say that it involves an extracurricular thing like 
well, for me, soccer, dance, gymnastics, you know, yep. and just that perspective, I'm so aware of my propensity to go, oh man, I got to take my kid to this. And mm. I'm questioning how much time I spend in the car as a chauffeur and thinking, I make a decent <laughs> amount of time per hour. Is this really the best use of my time? Now, wait a minute. And you've got me coming. You know, what is the, what's the final result here? And one, if it's a value for my kid, it may be not having them do that activity because it takes too much of my time and their time. And we're not able to eat dinner together. I need to question if that value, if that activity is really worth the final value, if it is, then the reality in my spirit is no, I don't have to take my kid to soccer. I am choosing to invest in this activity that I think will teach my kids skills, will help them connect socially, will teach them cause and effect and whatever. And what an honor. And I'm actually going to take them myself because I need the time to connect with them. I want to connect with them as opposed to paying somebody to just get them from A to B or stick them on a drone or, you know, whatever I could, yes. or a donkey. Um, or a donkey. Or give him a donkey. <laughs> but to, again, to come back and go, what is the final result is going to dictate whether I have them do that. And then the spirit from which I do that, either way, it's a dramatic shift on, dude, I got to take my kid to whatever. And reading your book again brought back to me my own propensity to look at my time commitments and allotments as a victim. Mm. Yes. Yes, you're right. We we um, we have to own the consequence as an actual choice. When someone says, "I can't do this because I work at a job," I go, "Yeah, but didn't you?" And I mean, I'm nice about it, right? But then you go, "Didn't you spend like I don't know, twelve, sixteen years of school and tons of money to have this very job?" Like, oh. <laughs> so it's not the job it's how you work it's how you're controlled yeah i get it. it's a toxic situation let's talk about that you know and when you work from this final result final cause your final values you can make better decisions or at least see it differently because when you when you're constantly playing the victim and i get it terrible things happen i get it i'm just saying when you look at it as a victim you don't allow yourself to make a new choice when you realize that you made a choice that created this result, for better or worse, you can also realize you can make a new choice, even if it's just a simple conversation with someone at work that can actually change things around for you. Well, I, I did want to ask, and again, I'll, I'll cite that I, I, I've got a lot of kids. We've done a lot of things with, especially like, like that, homeschool, public school, and all the gamut in between. Now, I have not spent time as an employee I did for two years once, but uh, a yeah. long time ago, but I've been an entrepreneur, but I feel like I can look at this sober. Well, my wife actually is, is, has just taken, uh, she's in a, in a field that she loves and she has taken full-time hours yeah. and it's very uh, odd. You know, it's, it's an odd reality to me to look at that now and go, gosh, we haven't experienced that and ever really, mm -hmm. but just to look at that, because as we look at the feeling as a victim of our circumstances, if you do have a job, a nine to five, you know, traditional job, you have traditional hours. Generally, if you're going to have your kids in public school, it is what it is. And it's, I mean, I'm looking at it now and it, it dictates a lot. Now I'm at a place where I can choose that or not. And we, we right now, we actually are, and we're playing with that. And there's pros and cons. Again, we're looking at the final value, the result and going, okay, with everything considered, this is what we're doing. But when 
if we submit, is that the best word to one of those specific, I mean, so here in America, those are our primary, I say those are t- primary time. What would you say? Containers is a traditional job. If you do that and school, and I'm almost going to say schools more of that because even the traditional job, we have people in traditional jobs with flexible hours. And as you talk about, we have a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurs who have just bought into the nine to five anyways, it hasn't changed. Maybe they may be working more. Yep. No, it's true. You know, so, so when people move from, when people are entrepreneurs or they move from employment to being an entrepreneur, the, one of the reasons they don't find time in it is because they've brought traditional time management systems with them. That's something to remember. The other th- thing is, in, in my experience too, with our, with our kids, um, life's dynamic. Things change. So one year they're in public school, another year they're not. In the middle of the year, we might pull them out mm-hmm. or, or put them back. Uh, we've done like a little hybrid thing with some people in the community. We've done homeschool with, you know, on the internet. It, it was, it's fascinating because I realized as I would tell the teachers or the principal, we're going to go on this long trip. You know, we've had this tragedy in our family. We're going to go on this long trip. We're going to huddle up. We're going to learn. We're going to experience. We're going to see all these things. And they would be nice about it, but they'd also have all these problems about them being out of school. And, you know, we, we, you'll get letters from the state. You'll get all these things telling you. And I realize. I mean, this is fact. Look it up. I'm sure every state's different. But you start realizing, oh, I get that people get you can get more education somewhere else, but this is about money because they get paid based on the percentage of time a kid sits in the seat. Yeah. And so then they have to they have to measure for that. So they have to control that. And so they have to tell you you need to be at school, even though another experience would be better for them. So we realized, you know what? Let's just take them out of school and avoid the whole situation and put them back in when we're back. And everybody's happy. <laughs> no. So you ha- when you start thinking a little different, just a little different, you can you can come up with the, the trick to all this because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's be like, I can't apply this. And I go, I get it. I get it. You think you can't, but you can't. You know, it's ask a better question, get a better answer. Because your brain's like a calculator. So you go, this is the thing. Okay, that I can't do this. You're right. You can't do it. But if you say, how can I do this thing or what can do this thing or who can do this thing without this terrible thing happening by next Tuesday, your brain likes puzzles and it figures it out or it doesn't. Sometimes it takes a little more time, but you have to ask the question to, to open up a space in your mind for it to fill in with new ideas. This is, this is essential. Everything we're talking about is really about thinking differently. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's about. Because when you say, I want this result, and you're going to work for it for a long time, and, you, and then you realize you don't get it, and you already know that's going to happen, because looking back, it, it also didn't happen. And you can go, you know what? What if I just did the thing? What if I just did it? You know, oh, it's so hard. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because now you're talking about things that actually matter, because 10 years from now, you're going to have the same problem. This is so hard. Same problem. Interesting, Richie. I have, I can't say that I've made some definitive or or, or gained a definitive concept on this, but I've grappled with it as I, so we do have a a lot of kids and I feel like, man, a lot of my time has just been spent being a parent, being a spouse, raising a family. And it's, for me, it's been difficult to make work a priority to a certain degree. 
and I don't want to justify that, but I, it is curious as I'm now, I'm now I, st- I have so many kids. I still have some younger kids, but you know, they're more and more self-sufficient. So here I am 51, I feel like I'm 31 yep. and, uh, and looking forward to a lot, you know, but the, the kids are going to be older and they're going to start lead. Well, I do have, I've got four out of the house already and I'm looking and thinking, I'm going to have a lot of time, a lot more mm. time to work. And if I want to grow this great, illustrious career, not that I'm, I'm not that I'm complaining about where my career is, is now, but I'm going to have a lot of time. My kids coming back to that and your analogy with those the, the kids, they are there now. And if we're going to camp, it's probably going to happen now. I'm already struggling with my older kids and trying to put the next camping trip together, man. And they've got jobs and school and some of them have kids already. And that feeling of the, the difficulty or not the difficulty that I want to say that the error again of, of putting things off as opposed to, man, we need to do yes. the vacation now. We need to yes. do the experience now. And I've seen you do that to a significant degree. Yes. Well, think about this. I mean, let's, let's go with the vacation thing for a second. So, so anyone listening to this, if this sounds super foreign, um, which I'm sure it does, but you can relate to it. Like if you're going on a trip, typically someone will get, I don't know, several weeks, maybe even a month's worth of work done right before they leave. The reason I'm mentioning this because, you you know, you have a lot of kids and you say you, that means you don't have a lot of time for work. And I get everybody's situation is different. And I, I get it. I get it. But you're also hyper productive. Like you're doing things that are like amazing. And you go, wow, because we already know. That if someone work, work, let's, someone works from the center, work work becomes how they're paid becomes the center of their life, and they work 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 work. This is traditional. This is ninety nine percent of people work 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 work. On the fringe of their life is their family, their friends, their priorities, their purpose, the things they like to do. Reverse that or invert it, so to speak. Like you're doing, family, purpose, time, values, travel. Whatever it is that's most important, if that's the center, you have you're right. You do have less time for work. Which means if you're a responsible person, you have to be creative to get the same amount of work done or more in less time. Now that model can be flexible, but think about that. If you had a choice, which would you choose? The one where you're doing a bunch of stuff? And it might be meaningful. Like work is a high. I get it. You can get high on work, but forget why you're working. So you think, am I going to work forever to have a little bit of the things I am actually working for the sake of my work? Or am I going to put the sake of my work in the center and have less time for it, but get more done? This is weird. Yeah. This is weird. You go, how is that possible? You go, you know, you and I both know. That the average nine to fiver, as long as it's not like a service thing, you know, it's like they can just they can just you know power through and get work done. They can get that same work done like from nine to five, maybe in an hour or two on the same day. But why does it take longer? Because their boss told them they have to stay there the whole time. That's why. It's the same with a lot of the things that we do. You know, work expands the amount of time given. You know, that's uh, Parkinson's law. And so then you you, you narrow it down to the eighty twenty rule, the Pareto principle. What's the twenty percent I really want to do? I really like to do, not just the stuff I'm good at. Because if you took a piece of paper and on one side you wrote down everything that you do, you would see everything, everything, like professional and personal. 
you would see that that's how your life shows up to others. They don't see your past. They don't see what you're thinking in the future, even though you do. They only see what you're doing. That's all your kids, your family, your coworkers, neighbors see. But if you were then to say, what do I like to do and circle a few of them and put them on the other side of the piece of paper, you see how imbalanced your life is. Here's everything I'm doing versus what I want to do. But if you were then able to like delegate, outsource, eliminate those things that you don't really want, oh my gosh, you just got 80% of your time back. Yeah. And then you can double down on what you want. And this is, a, this is a weird thing. I know I'm different in saying this. The reason I say what you like to do, what you want to do, is because this helps you better identify your purpose and meaning than anything else. Because people don't like what they're good at. If you take a strengths test and it tells you you're good at laying bricks, you will continue to lay bricks forever. And you will say, I want to do something different. Teach me something else, business. And they will say, no, HR says you took this test and said that you're good at laying bricks. We're not going to move you laterally. We're not going to move you up and down. This is what you're going to do. You think that's not real? Ask any person that's coding right now. You, yeah, yeah. It gets super real when you make it real. So when you realize you can, you can learn new things. Architects don't build buildings. They draw them. General contractors do not build houses. They don't even pick up a hammer. They sub the whole thing out. So you can architect and become a contractor of your life, meaning you can do anything you want whenever you want if you just think a little differently. Well, you remind me, man, I need to, and I need to talk to him again. I keep talking about him, Jonathan Fields. You probably know Jonathan um, I do. and his latest book. It's been a year or more. And I had him on the show sparked and his spark type mm-hmm. test. I continue coming back to that just based on what you're talking about to think about where am I the best, where, where am I best used? And, you know, in his, it was as a maker, I love taking an idea and bringing it to life, creating the structure of it, kind of a framework of it. Then I'm kind of done. I need to stay in that mode, you know, of getting things yeah. to that point. And then, and that's where I need to, not just where I may be. I mean, I'm good at sales. Uh, I don't want to, I don't really want to do that though. That's, that's where I would be put in if I was in that workplace. There you go. And, and in that, and you talk about this right at the beginning of the book, and I want you to speak to it and give some help, I guess, because it is frustrating, especially for somebody in traditional employment, though I, I think it probably happens a lot, way too much in, in even, even being self-employed. We look at managing our time so that, and this is what you say right in the book, so we manage our time so that we can get more done and that's what we do. We just do more in that time. It doesn't really, again, what is that final result? Am I trying to save time so that I can tend to my health so that I can have some me time so that I can invest in this person? Because if you're in that place working for somebody specifically and you just get more done, they're stoked. All right, keep doing it. We'll give you more and we'll give you more. And five years later, the time management, you're just doing more it kind of goes back to that perspective that that is mind-boggling to think if we showed our grandparents the efficiencies that we have today they would assume that we only work 20 minutes a day and of course <laughs> we work twice as much as they did they did dust to dawn and now we're burning you know the we keep looking lights on and it's not that's working point. and the time that, well that's what you brought me to in the book i mean the time management <laughs> is not yep. working i mean we it's no. like proof it's just like saying that the all the knowledge that we have about health and wellness here in america is it working according to the stats apparently not we're sicker and sadder than we ever have been 
Wow. So it's, that must not be the, the knowledge of it must not, there's something else. And I feel like that's what you're bringing us to and go that the time management is a myth. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a myth. Yes. And you have me and I'm, playing with the thoughts that you're giving me out of the book. And I'm thinking, I, I don't need time management. I need priority management. I need value. Right. I need values management. That's right. That's right. So if you take, if, if let's think about kind of a framework here and I'll, and I'll try, I'll, I'll try and slow it down a little bit. So if you were to first say, it's not just your purpose or your why, if you were to really say, let, let's break it down. Let's make, let's make it, make it super real. If you were to say, even over the next two years or 90 days, uh, what's my professional, and let's just use normal words that we use every day. What's my professional goal? And you write them all down. Right. There could be 10 of them. What's my personal goal? I call it the four Ps. What's my people goal, the people in my life? Um, what's play, like the things that re-energize and make me feel alive? You write them all down. You might have, let's say you have 40 things written down, 10 in each, in each quadrant, let's say. And you just circle the only one out of each area, professional, personal, people play you'll come up with four main priorities these aren't your necessarily your purpose but you have these four main priorities then you ask yourself why do i want these things what's the goal of these things then you start figuring out your purpose so now you have a purpose aligned with four priorities you can attach them to four different projects because a project has a beginning and an end i'm not writing a book i'm an author you know, I have a book project that's very different. I am this person is very, I am healthy is very different than I will be healthy. I am a runner is different than I will run. These are very different thought patterns. And then you decide, how am I going to get paid doing this thing? You can still get paid first, but when you decide how you're going to get paid from, think about that, the high meta goal, this purpose, the priorities, projects, payment, then your pay is in alignment with what you want to do. The opposite of that is to say, I'm going to get paid by living in New York, even though you don't want to be there. And now your lifestyle is, is, is determined by that area, what you do, when all you want to do is be fly fishing in Montana. You could be fly fishing in Montana from the start if you wanted to. See, you start with what you, the goal of the goal, and then you align it with how you get paid. This will change the way you operate because how you pay, whether you're sick or have a bad relationship, you still have to go to work. Yeah. So <laughs> how you get paid determines what you do, when, where, how, and, and, and honestly, like why this is, this, it, it's, it, it wasn't always this way. This happened in the, in, in the industrial revolution and now the post-industrial revolution. Now I think even post-management, we're bringing it, bringing it into that. But if you really want to lead a life on purpose, it's it's your life is led by the questions you ask. So ask a better question, get a better answer and use this framework and you'll be able to get your time back. It, and to hearken to Andy Andrews, you know, we're, we're in, the, we're getting in the deep, deep end of the pool here. You in the beginning of the book, talk about regrets mm. and it's been a topic that keeps coming up. I had Dan pink on this year mm. mm-hmm. and his, the power of regret is his book. We talked about that. And I talk a, a common, a, a lot about Bronnie Ware. she's the Australian hospice nurse who wrote the book, the top five regrets of the dying. And mm. I, I'm just kind of enamored by that. But both of mm. those are 
hers are people on deathbed. They're looking at regrets in the past. They can't fix now. Dan was yeah. talking about regrets. People have now in their current life. And he did a broad spectrum of demographic and, and whatnot. And there, there are things that maybe people can, can address. You got me thinking maybe more concisely about the exercise of going, look, if things stop now, whether I die or I just can't produce. And I think about that. I'm a very physically oriented person. So I think, man, if something happened and I just can't produce, what would I regret right now, right yes. now? And, yes. and, and I'm looking at that result. What would I regret? What have I not done as a parent, a spouse, as a, a man, as a friend? Um, what are the things I'm not addressing? But mirror, not not mirror, um, hold that too, because the whole living like there's no tomorrow thing is is kind of, I mean, we can't do that. Because if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to shower or do laundry or, <laughs> or go grocery shopping, you know? Um, but it yeah. is, that's a great tension right there to look at and go, okay, I'm not going to take today for granted, but my gosh, if it did end, what do I regret? Yes. How can that yes. not change? Yes. I, I, I like to, to tell myself that future regret is today's imperative. Okay. Like, like if you already know you want to do this thing and you don't do it, you're going to regret it. Then it becomes the priority of today. It has to be. I, I interviewed hundreds of people approaching retirement or in retirement, and they would say something similar. I, I thought I needed, I waited for a time when I would have more time, more education, more money, more experience to do this thing, only to find out that when I'm finally here, I still don't have enough. I still need more time, education, experience, and money. It's like, wow. And the quote-unquote successful people, they started where they were with what they had. And you know what? If it didn't work out, so what? At least they didn't. It, it's, a, it's a harder experience mentally to have something not work out 20 or 40 years from now when you've been holding on to that hope than it is to learn you don't like it or it's not going to work out right now. Hmm. You can live multiple lives. You can live a polymathic life. I mean, you go like these polymaths, these people, you know, Da Vinci and stuff. You're like, yeah, they did lots of things. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> Were they geniuses? Of course, they also did something, lots of different things. And that's what's cool is life is multidimensional. You can do all kinds of different things. Future regret is today's imperative. And you talk about that. You use the story at the beginning of chapter one or two mm. of the, uh, is her name Syrah? Uh, Syra. Syra. Yeah. Syra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, this girl in homeless and bad story, whatever. And she, she wants to be a rapper. And so she goes to this thing and she's terrible at it. So it reminded me of, I keep referring, I've had so many relevant people because I, I guess I'm interested in the same thread. So I've had relevant people. So I had Elliot Biznow on the show recently from uh, Summit Series. And he talks about his initial foray into being an entrepreneur. And he was horrible, horrible. I mean, he created a little company and a t-shirt company and didn't sell one t-shirt. Zero, nothing. I mean, zero success. He started a consulting company and did not get one client. I mean, zero success. And wow. here she is. And she goes up on stage to be a rapper. And everybody says, you're not just bad. You're, you're horrible. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't, no. we don't try. We don't, we're not bred as a culture to go try things. And it's really been on my mind lately, Richie, because I, I realize that I do a lot of these adventurous things. They're pretty much all in my comfort zone. You know, I'm, I'm kind of doing things that I've got some groove in. 
I don't do, I haven't, it's been, I'm trying to think like, when is the last time I went and did something I don't know how to do at all? I cannot remember. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling sh- not, not shame in a bad way, but you know, shame, like I'm missing yeah. something, man. I am missing yeah. out on some, what, am, what am I missing out on, uh, it's in my true. own growth and in my own opportunity. Yep. No, it's true. You know, that's why I love podcasts and podcast guesting. And I love, I love your, your show because people listening to this, they are able to expand their comfort zone. You know, think of new ways, you know, think of new things to do. You know, I, sometimes just having someone else give you an idea is everything. When, when I was a kid, you know, I was 16, I wanted money. And I'm like, you know, you're a kid, you want money, you want to spend it, you want to do your thing. And I told my dad I wanted a job. And my dad says, you don't want a job. I'm like, what? How, how could you tell me that? You're my, you're my dad. You know, I'm supposed to do this stuff. He was an entrepreneur because my, the job I was going to get was, which I have done, by the way, you know, picking up trash at the fair, working at the local sandwich shop and, you know, doing these kinds of things. And it was summertime. And he goes, no, you're, you're a kid. You're going to be working your whole life. I remember this. He goes, you're working your whole life. Your job is to have fun and to get good grades. And I'm like, yeah, but I want money. You know, like, what am I going to do? And I'm from San Diego. And he says, go to El Centro, which is like three hours away to uh, where the farmers are and ask. This is so weird. I ne- the, the idea here is I, c- I could never have gotten this idea on my own. It never would have came. He said, go to El Centro and ask the farmers if you can buy the irregular sized watermelons because they can't sell them to the grocery stores. And I said, OK. So like my brother, who was 14, you know, two years younger than me, we, we took out the seats in our family van. We drove down to El Centro. We bought all these watermelons. It was 4th of July. We came back and we sold them to like our, we called all of our, our friends' parents. You know, we just, you know, we, we did the thing. We went to the park. People yeah. showed up and we made more money in one day than we would have worked in the entire summer for, for minimum wage. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I was looking back and I was like, it wasn't just the don't trade your time for money thing. It was, that was an entirely different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That affected probably my whole life because all of a sudden I realized and had courage and confidence that, oh, you, you can make money. There's It's something you can do. A lot of people don't know that or believe that because they ne- they've never had it modeled. So I was fortunate in that way. And so your podcast, I think why people love you and why it's so, you know, it's, you're so amazing is because you're modeling these things for people, you know, or and showing them other people that are doing it. And that's where it starts. That's how the acorn becomes an oak tree, you know, like getting, well, getting in alignment. Man, thank you. are gracious. I feel, I keep using the word privileged. I mean, I grew up with parents and I got to see that firsthand. I feel like I got that experience and the, and the, and the faith from trying things and doing things. I got it on a silver platter. I really did. I mean, I got it. I got to admit that. And, uh, I've, again, continue just be feeling fortunate to have a blue zone of people like you that I get to, uh, I get to commune with that are also doing those things and it makes it so much easier, but I'm sensitive to, as I look at the populace out there, that that's not most people's exposure. And it is very, uh, daunting to look out there and look at doing something different, thinking different. It takes, it takes some effort and it takes, it's, it's going to cause some friction to go out there and not just accept the general timetables and timelines. And, and, and I, and Richie, I, once in a while, I've not a lot, but there's sometimes when I get kind of tired of making the next, a little decision fatigue, you know, totally. I, I totally. Lo- I love that. I get to wake up every day and I get to do exactly whatever I want. 
sometimes I kind of get tired of having to figure out what am I, I know. what do I, I need just, to do today? Can't someone just tell me what to do? Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. But that choice is always there. If you need me to boss you around, just let me know. You know, you know that would be, wouldn't that, that should be like an entrepreneur's group of, that every once in a while you can check in and go, guys, I need a day off, man. Somebody just tell me, <laughs> tell me what, what I'm, to which to some degree, I mean, that yeah. is, that's why we pay people, pay coaches and consultants that and, is. and have people come. I've got, uh, I, I'm, I'm about to do that here at the podcast and, uh, kind of join some, some networks and some teams and get some help because I'm, I'm really, there's some things I'm tired of figuring it out, man. Yeah, I want to do, I want to do my art over here and yes. I'm tired of figuring this stuff out. I've got to offload, but to do that, I'm going to give up a little control. I'm going to give up more yes. than, more than a little money. Yes. Uh, yes. And it's intentional and on purpose. Yeah. Because it's in alignment with what you're trying to do. People will spend time and money on things that are not ever going to get them what they want because it's, it's not on purpose. It's not in alignment. It's not fit to purpose. So that's what this whole thing is. So I work a lot of some of the people I work with. I work with executives. I work with entrepreneurs. I work with everyday people that are doing all the things they do. But some of the most interesting people are creatives on YouTube, and they have a million subs or more. I have several of these clients, and they're they're going crazy making these videos. They look like they're having fun and happy, but they're really like having a hard time. It's stressful. It's a lot of work to edit and create, and it's constant. It never ends, and will free up their time using these principles I've been sharing only for them to go back to make more videos with that extra time. And And the thing is, no judgment. If you're going to do it, know what you're doing. If you're going to do it to say, I need more time with my family, then do it for more time with your family. But if you're going to do it for more work, that it works that way too. You can do more of the things you pay attention to. Are you paying attention to the right things? You mentioned a couple of times on this about getting real. Okay. And, I, and I'm thinking about, let's get granular with this. I don't do that well. I'm great with concepts, but then it comes down to, okay, so we turn the microphone off and then what do we do different? Well, I didn't get down that far. I like right. the concepts. And so, I mean, so people are going to hear this. It's going to sound good. I, and I would tell them a uh, shameless promotion, get the book. I mean, we, ha- I feel like we probably hit on like one, one hundredth of the book. I mean, yeah. we're talking concepts, the concepts of yeah. it. Now in the book, it's anti-time management. The, ti- the tagline is reclaim your time and revolutionize your results with the power of time tipping. We haven't even gotten into that and, and we could, do a, <laughs> we could do a three hour show, We could, <laughs> but it is a different way. I mean, Richie's here with a diff, obviously a different paradigm of looking at time and what time management is and isn't and doesn't exist and what we can really do. So, but in that, I mean, we're, we're going to hear this and we're all going to wake up. We're going to hear this message, hear these concepts, wake up tomorrow morning. What would you say is the biggest or one of the, if it's hard to, to, to name the thing, the biggest enemy to changing tomorrow's trajectory? We're all going to wake up here's tomorrow. We heard this great message from Richie about this thinking about my values. I'm thinking about my priorities and the day starts and we have the biggest challenges that come along that put us right back where we were. I think it's, it's thinking big without thinking small. You have to do both. Hmm. I, I always feel like I'm thinking too small, but sometimes you can think too big. What happens is, I have this big vision of all these things I'm going to do, so I don't know where to start. But it starts with one. So let's say someone says they need to make more money. Well, it depends. You need to pay your mortgage in in five days? Is that the thing? Or is it like money over the next year? Those are two different types of work. 
you know, one can be immediate and one can take some time to build. If someone says they need to get paid, when someone tells me they haven't been paid in a while, one of the first things I'll ask is, when's the last time you asked someone for their debit or credit card? Because that's what happens to get paid. And they spend weeks, months, years, quote unquote, working. And it is work. But if they define work as getting paid and they're not getting paid, have they worked a day in their life? That's a real thing. So to answer the question, it's what's the one thing that is in alignment with the big goal that you can do right now? It might be as simple as an email or a text to someone telling them that you're going to do that thing so they hold you accountable. Or it could be as simple as booking that ticket to Italy so that you can go there with your family, which will create a forcing function to make you work differently so you're prepared when you go, so you can make money while you're there or when you're back. The one thing, the one domino, the one thing that'll push over everything else to that one thing, and it will help make all the other decisions for you without you even thinking about it. That's a great place to end, but I'm going to ask one more question. Yep. And it's a little bit coming full circle to where I started. As you walk with people, whether it's regardless, whether it's your execs and celebrities or, you know, whoever you're walking with though, and they understand and engage with this message, with this concept, where would you fall on? They end up saying, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. No, they wake up that next morning with this a paradigm shift. Do they say no, no to more things or yes to more things? Is that a fair question? Uh, you know, kind of the, the getting rid of the good for the great. Is it, is it, do you find more of a practice of, as people embrace this, they say, start saying no to, to more things that, that don't line up, that aren't necessary, or yes to some things that they weren't doing? Obviously, a combo of both, but I'm just interested on where you would say the spectrum often falls. Okay, that's a really good question. It seems like it'd be an easy answer. Let me let me say this. Like when you, it's when not you, easy for me as I'm thinking about myself. That's why I'm asking. Okay, okay, okay. When you, you'll never be more productive than cutting out the dumb things that you're doing. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. So 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 there's that. But what I found is, well, if you look at the book, if you look at the book on the cover, there's a line. It goes into a prism and then there's a bunch of different like other colorful lines that come out of it. Yeah. The idea is how one decision create can create a ton of different results. Hmm. Whereas if you look at it backwards, people are doing a lot of different things to try and only get one result. And sometimes they don't get any of it. Hmm. So to answer that question, I, I, I might frame it differently. Okay. I might say, what do you care about? Because when you, First of all, you can't help people that don't care. I learned that from Marshall Goldsmith. You just, what are they going to do? You know, you, there's other there's other things for them. You know, you can do your best. But until they care, like, it's hard to make for them themselves to make change. When someone does something they care about, they end up doing more of the things they care about. So, yes, you might be saying no to a lot of things because they're not in alignment and you thought they were. But when you say yes to the one thing that is that is the thing that will you know take you to the next level, you end up receiving lots more of unexpected 
happy, joyful opportunities. It's like if you're familiar with Marie Kondo and, and, and you know, the, the tidying up, you know, yeah. and the magic and the joy. It's like that. It's like p- time tippers, people that read this book, the anti-time management, they treat time the way Marie Kondo treats clothes and closets. They look at what brings them joy and what doesn't. They get rid of the stuff that has served them. And they do more of the things that will continue to bring them that, that love and joy. Richie, thanks, man. Thank yeah, you man. for <laughs> being here. Thanks for the effort that you put into this project. Um, it's reorienting how I'm thinking about uh, some things that I've got going on. And uh, good timing for me. I hope it is for everybody listening. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Friends, the face value topic here was time. But as you just heard, the foundation is getting clear on our values. And I want to offer you this. Don't get caught up in thinking you have to set aside a day or half a day or even an hour to consider all this. Even 15 minutes to think about where you're spending your time and where you would want to spend more time. Do it during your commute or your run. I mean, to consider places you're spending time that are maybe not wholly necessary what activities have become seemingly important that just really aren't or just don't don't have to be right now just don't let this all or nothing approach that we tend to do uh, cause you to do nothing a little time and one new thought or idea and action could be really significant Again, you can find Richie's book, Anti-Time Management, Reclaim Your Time and Revolutionize Your Results with the Power of Time Tipping. You can find it anywhere. You can find his podcast wherever you're listening right now. Just type in The Richie, that's R-I-C-H-I-E, The Richie Norton Show. And his website is richienorton.com. Thank you, as always, for choosing to listen to this self-helpful podcast. If you got value, be great to get a review about this episode. Best thing you can do, talk with somebody about it. Keep the discussion going. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.